What a great song. That line in there, isn't that beautiful? First time I heard that was in the first service. It, that line that says life is, it, it is hard, uh, does go a little bit with what we're going to be talking about today. I guess there's a good heart and a bad heart, and I hope that we would have the courage to live a good heart um, of, of kind of living out our lives. What I'm going to talk about with you this morning is being weary. Well, aren't you glad you came? Um, <laughs> Eeyore is here to talk to you about being weary before Christmas. Um, but I just like I look at my own life as of late, I've, I've just been tired a lot and I've been weary. And I've wondered, and there's times I've, I've wrestled with hopelessness and there's times I've wrestled with cynicism and times I've just kind of wanted to sit. I knew I was in trouble Friday night. I took my son to crash a Rama, something none of you would even know what it is. Crash a Rama makes a spitting contest look like opera. It is a, it is at a, at a racetrack over in, uh, in, in Bithlow called Orlando Speed World. And for, uh, for five hours, they basically wreck cars. Uh, there's, there's bus races, and it is just complete destruction and mayhem. And, and the fact that I was jo- enjoying that so much said something wrong with me. There's something <laughs> deeply, deeply wrong with me as I was watching things crash into each other and cheering. I thought there must be... Something I need to look at in my life. Um, I don't know about you, but weariness has, is, a, is, a, is a struggle of late for me. Weariness, I'm not talking about just being physically tired. That, that just takes a good night's sleep and that's taken care of. Just the weariness of, the, the question of, is this really worth it? Is this gonna work? The, the other day we were talking about putting out our Christmas ornaments and doing that house. And my son, Skylar said, it seemed like it was a lot of trouble, you know, to do all that. I thought, someone else believes that's true. I, I, I do the same. The whole idea of being weary and being discouraged. You know, I heard someone talk about the Christian life as, um, as being the most simple way to talk about the Christian life is that you're invited into the, to this incredible dance of the Trinity, that the Trinity is a father, son, and Holy Spirit, a this dynamic relationship that pours into one another, a, a dance of intimacy and closeness, that to, to know him, to be invited into his kingdom is, is to be invited into that dance, that intimate dance, that, that holy dance of Trinity. So I'll tell you, I'm not a very good dancer. I, I just get tired. I, I spend most of my time when I dance looking at making sure I'm doing it right and afraid that I'm, I'm messing the steps up. And so the weariness sometimes gets in my way. So if you'll allow me um, the, the privilege of just talking to you today about a couple of passages that I went to as I was thinking about this whole idea of weariness, and I think it might be helpful for you. For those of you who don't get weary, read the bulletin. There's lots in it. There's a chili cook-off coming up. <laughs> for the rest of us, I think God has something for us this morning because I don't think he meant for us to live in this weary, broken way that we do. He didn't say life would be easy. The, the song talked about it being hard, but I think he meant for us to live a good hard, a hard that wasn't, that didn't take our soul out, a hard that didn't leave us so discouraged. And so I think that, um, I think there's something for us this morning. 
I do think it's a real privilege to be here. Uh, I really appreciate Orangewood and Jeff's ministry. It really is a privilege to be here um, and, and speak. It, it is kind of funny. I, I, I am, because of my position, what I do, I, I tend to, to show up on, on pulpit supply the week after Thanksgiving, the week after Christmas, 4th of July, Labor Day. I've done more Labor Day services than probably anybody on earth and, 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 and Thanksgiving, the week after Thanksgiving services. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, but instead of pulling out an old Thanksgiving service from the past, I thought I'd talk about where I'm at right now in wrestling with this idea of, of, of weariness, of discouragement. And hopefully at the end, we won't celebrate discouragement, but we might risk dancing uh, the incredible joy of the gospel together. So with that, before we look at the passages together, before we talk about God, before we look at his word, let's talk to him. Could we pray together this morning? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be here and, and to look at your word with these fellow believers. Father, you know everybody in this room. You've brought them here. You know the people that are weary and tired and just hanging on. You know the people that actually kind of were drugged here this morning, told they were supposed to be here. Father, you know the people that had a wonderful Thanksgiving and the ones that had just a crazy time with a family that was broken. So Father, would you meet us here this morning? And, and we acknowledge to you that this morning as we talk about weariness, we need a fresh a fresh blow of the wind of your Holy Spirit through our lives. Would you blow through here like a mighty wind? And would you change us this morning? Would you give us your sense of hope and purpose and life? Would you meet us where we are? Father, for the people in, the world, in this room that are too comfortable, would you use this time to disrupt them? For the people whose lives are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort them? We pray in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, I was wrestling with discouragement. And so I, I went to the same place you would go to. I mean, the, the first verse most of you would think about, I, I, I thought, well, well, clearly the word of God has something to say. This is not how, I mean, Jesus came to give us life and abundantly. He didn't, he didn't die so that we would pretend it's not supposed to be something I'm supposed to hustle up or pretend. It's supposed to be something that is supposed to come out of what it means to know him and to trust him. And so what, where would I go? And so the first place I went, one of the places you would go, that when you think about the word weary, I, I found myself in Galatians. Galatians 6, verse 9. And it just says this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, let us not become weary of doing good. Now, I decided to look at that word weary and follow it through the Bible and see what I could learn about that. Now, that word weary, before we go any further, it doesn't, it again doesn't mean physically tired. It means uh, losing heart, giving up, becoming discouraged. being worn down. It's used six times in the New Testament. And we're going to pull on the string of those times and we're going to look at one of those with a little more clarity in just a few minutes. But before we do, let me make just a couple of side notes about this passage in Galatians. 
This is not a passage that is telling you to work harder. You know the story, you know the, the passage in Galatians, you know what Galatians is about. Galatians is a book that Paul is writing to the church that had, had polluted the gospel by telling non-Jewish converts that they had to go through Jewish rituals to be considered Christian. And so they had to follow the, the Jewish sacramental codes in order to be considered Christian. And Paul said, I'm not having any of that. And he just spanked them. He just wrote Galatians to say, no, it is not, it is not Christ in you who saves you. You are saved by faith. It's the work of Christ that saves you. And so he is adamant that it's not works. And, he's, and, and it's an incredibly, it's a very powerful book. And then it turns, Galatians 6 begins with this section that talks about, now that we've got our theology settled, now that we know kind of what we believe, let me just tell you how you ought to treat each other. And then the beginning of Galatians 6, as you know, is the beginning where it says, that we're supposed to restore one another. Those that, have, that, have, that are struggling, we're supposed to, those that are spiritual are supposed to restore the ones that are caught up in sin. And then it says we're to bear one another's burdens. And it's this, it's this very relational piece. And then after this, this discussion of relationship, there's this passage that says, don't grow weary of doing good. And I would suggest to you that that is not referring doing good back to good works, but to Good loving of others. The way John Piper says it is, when he talks about this, he says, don't lose heart in spending yourself for others in love. See, most legalistic people aren't weary because they've reduced life to certain things they can or can't do. And they don't get weary. They just change the rules so that they follow them. Most people who fall the other direction, the people that... that um, that have no, no uh, that aren't concerned about how they behave, they, they will struggle with weariness too because there's no, there's no faithfulness in their lives. This passage is saying, don't grow weary of doing good. It doesn't mean to go back to works. It says, don't grow weary of caring for others because ultimately that's what makes us exhausted. It's people that exhaust you more than anything else. Yeah, I get mad when my car doesn't work and I get mad when my house is worth less than it was yesterday. And I get, I get frustrated when, but, but the things that really discourage me is when I can't parent the way I thought I could. Or my kids don't seem to, to, to be doing okay. Or my, or my boss or my relationships or, it seems that relationships are the thing that, that wear us down so deeply. Sitting around the Thanksgiving table for some of you was exhausting. All the dynamics that were in the room and just trying to figure that out. It's relationships that make us weary. And so Paul is saying, don't grow weary of doing good, of, of this task of loving, not the task of doing more, the task of loving. So first thing I would suggest to remember about this passage, second thing I'd remember, I'd want you to remember is note that Paul includes himself in this. He doesn't say, hey, you guys, you guys don't get weary of doing good. He says, let us not become weary of doing good. Paul is including him and that we all struggle with this as a possibility. There's a possibility that all of us will wrestle with this issue of weariness. And Paul includes himself and says, hey, let us not get weary in doing good. Because there is, 
weariness in the task of loving. There's weariness in the task of faithfulness. And so with that as just a reminder of the book of Galatians, let's pull on the string of this word and see what we find. Well, I do what you do. And I, and I just looked in my, in, in my, in my, uh, my computer program and, and saw the word weary. And I thought, where else does this word show up? And so I, I, I looked in the computer and all that it gives me on my program is it says, it gives the phrase and the, the, a sentence and then the text. And this is what it said at the beginning of the text. It said, then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them they, that they should always pray and not become weary or not give up. That's all it said. And then it gave the passage. And I thought, oh, Jesus told a parable to keep me from being weary? This is gonna be good stuff. I mean, this is a parable that, God, that Jesus said, I told them this. The reason I told this parable was so that people would pray and not give up, not get weary. Well, I'm weary. I need to hear this parable. So I've turned to it and I was incredibly disappointed. Because I've heard this preached before. And basically, usually I've heard this preached. And, and, it, and it's kind of like, you better try harder. You need to pray more. You need to pray more. You need to pray more. You need to do more. You need to pray more. And I thought, well, of course, one of the, one of the important pieces of this text is we ought to pray. I mean, that's, that's without question. But I didn't find myself encouraged by it. I found myself kind of discouraged. I thought, oh, yeah, the parable of the, you know, the unjust judge or the parable, sometimes in some of yours, it'll be called the, the parable of the persistent widow. And I thought, I was a little disappointed. But then I looked back at the very beginning and I thought I ought to take Jesus at his word. And Jesus said that he told them to show them they should always pray and not give up. And that means I'm misunderstanding something about this passage. Because this passage, Jesus said his words where the reason for this parable is to get people to pray and so they won't become discouraged or give up. And so if he says that's the reason for it, I must be misunderstanding. And if I read it and go, great, more stuff for me to do. And so I, so I tried to dig in a little bit. And so the next couple of minutes, I'd like to dig in with you about what I think this passage may mean. And if you'll listen, I think you might find yourself a little less weary. Now, let me tell you the bad news first. I'm not gonna change your circumstances. If you say, well, I'm weary because of this or because of that, your circumstances won't change in this time. So often, that's all I want God to do. I sometimes don't care what's true or what isn't true. I just want to change my circumstances. Just make it easier. Why do you make it so hard? Feels like the wind's against me. Chances are, God can do whatever he wants. I mean, God can do miracles. Chances are your circumstances won't change drastically in the next few minutes. But I think you can walk out of here dancing because Jesus told this parable so that you and I wouldn't be discouraged. We wouldn't give up. Oh, and sometimes I just wanna give up. Oh, in the last 24 hours, I wanted to just to give up. So what does God have for us this morning? Well, let me suggest to you that the problem with the way that most people look at this passage is there's two ways to interpret scripture. Homeocentric or 
theocentric. I just said that to just impress the people. I don't even know what any of that means, but homocentric is the idea of man-centered interpretation. Now, clearly the Bible says stuff to us, but the parables are about God. The parables are God's autobiography. And so you need to interpret parables as what do they say about God first, not what do they say about us first. And if you begin to look at this passage in a theocentric way, what does it say about God? All of a sudden, it changes drastically because the the star of this story is not the persistent widow. The star of this story is not even the unjust judge. The star of this parable is the opposite of the unjust judge, which is our God, the Father. So you've got to understand all three characters. And when you do, I think you could leave here dancing. So let's look at the first character. This first character, it's easy for me to say. We need an interpreter. Okay. The first character in this story, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, is the woman. Um, you, back in the day that this was told in, in historical Middle East, you could not have started a story with a more distressed character than this woman. A widow that had to be her own advocate to a judge. You see, back in the day, and the people listening to this story, a woman would never have gone to a judge. Her husband would have gone for her. If her husband, he, she's a widow, her husband's gone, her son would have gone for her. If she didn't have a son and her father was still alive, the father would have gone for her. If the father wasn't there, an uncle would have gone for her. A man, and I know to our sensibilities, that doesn't make sense today, but back in the day, this was told to the people in the audience hearing this story by Jesus, you couldn't have told a more, you couldn't have set the scene of a more desperate woman with no advocate. A woman with no advocate, no one that would support her. No one that, uh, she was a disadvantaged woman who was powerless with no advocate. You could not have started a story in the day. It would be like saying today, maybe a homeless out of work, drug addict, person with no resources or friends. I mean, it would be, it would be that same sort of, of picture that everybody would go, oh, that person has no advocate for them. That's a disadvantaged person. That's a person without any hope. Now, it's implied in this story that the woman had a just cause. But she had no advocate She had no advantage, and she had um, no one on her side. Do you ever feel that way? You feel like nobody understands you? People would just give you a break? Why is it so hard? Do you ever feel like you're the one person out? Do you ever feel like it's, it's not working? That nobody really gets you? You think like other people, you don't think like other people, you don't understand like other people do, and, and you just feel like you're kind of out of it. Well, to understand this parable, you've got to understand who you represent who's, and who God represents in the story and who God is not in the story. You and I are represented by the woman. We're represented, you, you might think you're better off in this, but this is who we are in this story. 
We're an advent, we're a, we're a desolate, powerless people with no advocate. If who we're dealing with is a judge like this. Oh, because of Christ. The truth is, this is not our judge now. But for you, for, let's talk about what we know about the judge. We know the judge does not fear God, does not care about the affairs of man, and is annoyed by the woman. I'd like to suggest to you that you're, if you're weary, it's because you think God is like that. Be aware, the power of this parable is that you and I are supposed to say after he presents the woman with no advocate, the unjust judge, the contrast that he is not like that. He's not like that judge. And so I'm gonna suggest to you the three things that we know about this judge are not true about God. And if you're discouraged, I would suggest that you struggle with one of these three things. Let me be more honest. When I'm discouraged, I struggle with these three things. The first was he did not fear God. Another way, some of your translations will say this, that he, um, that the judge did not live under God's authority. Didn't live under authority. Life is random. It's not, it's, 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 uh, it's not under God's authority or God's purposes. I would suggest to you that the first thing that gets in your way that makes you discouraged, <coughs> excuse me, let me just take a drink of this. They put vodka in that <laughs> whiskey. That's not true. It's just water. Now, the the story goes that the 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 the, the, the judge did not believe, did, did not live under the authority of God. He didn't believe in the sovereignty of God. He believed in his own authority, not the authority of God. You will become discouraged if you put everything on your back. The theological issue of the sovereignty of God is a big deal. Ultimately, if you believe God is sovereign, you'll struggle with doubt at times. Because you'll say, why would, if God is in charge, why would this happen? If God is in charge, why does this happen? If God is in charge, why does this happen? You'll struggle with doubt if you believe in the sovereignty of God. But weariness, it won't be all up to you to fix. Because God's in charge. The first problem this, man, this, this, this judge has is he doesn't live under the sovereignty of God. He lives under the sovereignty of himself. Remember, he didn't fear God. So I would suggest to you, if you're weary, check in with how you really believe about God's sovereignty. Is God really in charge? Now remember, sometimes that's not always, it's always true, but it's not always comforting because sometimes things are hard. Sometimes things are difficult. Sometimes you'll say, well, God, would it mess up the universe if I just got a parking spot in front of Kmart on Good Friday? (laughs) After all, you're in charge, aren't you? The greatest root of our discouragement is we've lost the sense that God really is in charge and he's telling a story 
if we knew that he was telling a story that ends in his glory and his purposes, if we knew that, then even when it's a dark night, even when it's a difficult day, even when things are going seemingly all wrong, there's an assured belief that he is sovereign. And somehow in spite of what it may look like and feel like at the moment, he is in charge. Now you'll wrestle with doubt some, but if you don't believe that, if you don't believe his sovereignty, what you'll do is you'll strap, it's all up to you, and you'll strap it on your back and you'll carry the weight that you can't carry. You can't control the things that matter most to you in this life. I can't control how my kids will turn out. I can't control whether or not what'll happen to the stock market. I can't control what's happening over in the Middle East right now. I can't control any of that. But what do you do if you don't believe ultimately in the sovereignty of God? You, you strap it on your back and it's gonna be up to you. It's gonna be up to you and you're gonna fix it and you're gonna, and you'll get weary and you'll get tired because you can't carry the weight. You weren't made to. He was, he is. The first thing I would suggest to you if you're struggling with discouragement and weariness is check in on the belief of God's sovereignty. Now you're all good Presbyterians here. So you all would all say, I believe in God's sovereignty. We believe in the sovereignty of God. And that's how you'd say it because that's how Presbyterians talk when we talk about things we believe. We kind of garble and say deep things and we usually take off our glasses and say, yes, God is sovereign. That's how we talk. And so I'll give you, some of you are discouraged, but you still would say, I believe in the sovereignty of God, great. Look at the second thing we know about the the judge who is the opposite of our God. The judge did not care about the affairs of men. Have you ever worked for a boss that didn't like you? The boss had authority, but they didn't like you. And, And there was a sense where you just, you knew they didn't like you. You didn't like them a whole lot, but they were in charge and you just kind of, just grinned and bared it and always looked for new jobs. That's where a lot of us live our Christian life. You want to get discouraged? You want to get weary? Believe that you're stuck with a sovereign God who doesn't like you. And, and before you say, well, that's not me. I, I, my, I don't know how often I'll hear someone say in my office, I believe in the Bible. I believe in the gospel. It's just not true for me. It's just not true for me. Yeah, I believe it's true for everybody else. I'm not cashing in my chips. I mean, I believe it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go and, and not follow God or anything, but it just really doesn't work. It's just not for me. I had a person once say that they feel like they were showing people someone else's vacation pictures when they talked about the gospel. A vacation they never went on but they showed pictures because they knew it was true. They really know there's a Grand Canyon, but they've never really been there. So they were showing other people vacation pictures. That's how they describe their Christian life. Why? Because ultimately they believed in God's sovereignty, but they didn't believe God really cared about them. So if you're weary, I'm weary. I... Let let me make this more honest. With my family, the sovereignty of God question, when I get weary, I wonder, why did God let autism happen? 
and I get angry. And I wonder, what is he up to? And that's my question at the end of that is, is he really sovereign? Did he really do this? Is a, is a good God in charge of this? When it comes to this question, how it usually plays out in my family, in my own life, is, okay, you know, but why? But he doesn't care because it seems like so much harder. It's so much harder because he doesn't seem to care about us. We, we pray that this will happen or that will happen or we try to do something that we think will work and make things better, but it doesn't. It makes things worse. And we try and we get discouraged. And, and where's that? What question am I wrestling with there? I'm wrestling with that second question, aren't I? I'm wrestling with, does God really care about us? Does God really care about us? What about you? When you get weary, is it that you don't think God really is in charge? Or do you think, yeah, he's in charge. He just doesn't really care about me and my life. He doesn't care about me. I mean, you know, maybe he's just busy taking care of everything else, but he's just not interested in me. The third lie that you'll believe if you're going to get weary is the lie of what finally motivated the judge. (laughs) Read the passage. The judge didn't help the woman because she had a just cause. He was just annoyed with her. And he says, you know, I don't want to be bothered by her. She's going she's to just bug the stew out of me. That's, that's not the, but what does it say? So she won't eventually wear me down with her coming. I mean, she's just, she's just bothering me so much. I'll, I'll finally do something because she's bothering me. It's the third place that I think many of us live when we're weary. We might say, okay, God's in charge. I get it. We might say, um, okay, I guess he cares about us and even us. But then we think we must have done something and he's mad. He's annoyed at us. Yesterday, my wife said to me, I wonder if there's something we did that um, this is that there's something that something that happened. I wonder if there's something we did that this is payback. Now she's she's a better theologian than me. She loves God more than I ever will. She's she's the best. But in that one little moment, she spoke one of my doubts, and maybe yours. It's the doubt that God is like this judge. And then he just finally will move because he's annoyed with you and he's bothered. God's not mad at you. He's not bothered by you. You don't annoy him. He's chosen you. You're his son. You're his daughter. He calls you his beloved. He's not annoyed with you. The cross would tell you he's not annoyed with you. He's annoyed with sin. Sure, he wants you to behave like his son or daughter, but He's not annoyed with you. He's chosen you. You're his. You're his kid. His thoughts are more than you can imagine about about you. He, He thinks of you. He doesn't just love you. He chose you. He likes you. He's not annoyed with you and will finally go, 
just to shut Cofield up. That annoying, obnoxious mistake I made. I'll do something. No. He's not annoyed by you. Not at all. He's not trying to get back at you. He's not trying to to put your nose in it. He's not like this judge. That's the whole point of the parable. The whole point of the parable is this persistent widow was, was exhausted because she had to deal with this goofball who's nothing like God the Father. She's weary because who she has to deal with. You're without an advocate. You're powerless. But because of the work of Christ and his advocacy on your behalf, you're God's sons and daughters. And you're not dealing with a just, an unjust judge. You're dealing with a just God, a just judge, a good father. Now that, that'll preach. You discouraged? I get discouraged. You weary? Seems like all the time. Which of the questions are you wrestling with if you're weary? Have you forgotten who's in charge? If you've forgotten who's in charge, you'll be weary because it makes you or somebody else in charge. Have you forgotten that he cares about you? Personally about you and your life? If you think he's just a boss that's uninterested, you'll be discouraged because you'll wonder what, what's the difference. You'll lose hope. Or do you think God is just getting back at you? Just trying to make you pay. That he's mad at you. He's bothered by it. He wants to make you pay because he's just, that's just the way he is. No, that's the way the unjust judge is. That's not the way our God the Father is. Note the contrast Note the real star of the story. The star of the story is not the persistent widow. And we are encouraged to pray. Why should you pray, by the way? Because you're not praying to a judge like that. You're praying to God who's sovereign, who cares, and who's not annoyed with you. That's why you should pray. If you're praying to that judge, you do it out of duty. But the reason this parable will make you pray more is because it tells you who God really is, who you're praying to. And you won't give up because you'll realize he's not against me. He is in charge. Solution to weariness. Pray yes. Yeah, pray. Realize who you are praying to. Who called you his son and daughter? Who calls you his beloved? You realize that's who you're praying to, then circumstances, they may not change. But the weariness starts to go away. And when the weariness starts to go away, if you listen real close, you can hear music in the background. 
in the invitation to dance. To dance the crazy dance of hope in this hopeless world, to the crazy dance of faith in this confusing world, the crazy dance of love in a selfish world. You can hear the music. If you know he's sovereign, if you know he cares about you, and and you know he's not annoyed with you, you can hear the music. Let me just tell you a story. Um, um, my, my daughter's here and she, she'll love this story. Um, first, a confession. I'm, an, I'm not a very good parent. Um, and all the things that parents are supposed to go to that they're supposed to like, you know, like band rehearsals and practices and meetings, I hated them all. I hated them all. I was so glad when the kids got out of school. It was like, oh, no more. <laughs> you know, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Kids, your parents love going to those things. They care about you. Your parents are good. Me bad, them good. But I want to tell you, one of the things I hated the most were the special ed things. And, and I know, you know, you just go ahead, judge me. I'm not a good man. But I just didn't like that stuff because it just felt like I didn't think my son really belonged there. And I remember dropping him off at things and, or, or taking him to the Special Olympics or some of those things. And, and I just felt like he didn't belong there, though, of course, he did. And, and everybody else thought he did. And I was the only one that was kind of wrestling with that. But I never enjoyed that stuff. And I remember one year at Winter Springs, they decided they were going to do a, a, a special ed prom. I remember I went, oh, great. That's the last thing I want. I mean, it's like, oh, great. This will be great. And, uh, but you know, you do what you're supposed to do. And, and there ended up being two of them. Um, the first one, uh, is I'll tell you about, and then, um, Kim actually was at the second one with, with Skylar, but the, the first one, uh, I went in with a horrible attitude. And when you get there, it was at the school gymnasium, at the school cafeteria, they'd put up just bad decorations. It was no budget. It was just like, and there was a big sound system and all these kids that tried to look nice and, but it just, there was an awkwardness and every, nobody really, and I just thought, okay, Lord, let me get through this. I'll be good attitude. Come on, here we go. And then the music started and they danced. See, I used to be a high school guidance counselor a billion years ago and I had to go to all these dances and nobody would ever dance because they always wanted to look cool. And there were the people who couldn't dance and they'd always just stand on the side and try to look cool because they're too worried about what people would think of them. Then there were one or two people who really could dance. They'd get out in the middle and everybody would notice them. And, and then there'd be the people that were just there to be seen. And it was, just, it was just this sea of crazy. And they would just, and so I've been to a lot of dances, so I kind of knew what to expect. It was nothing like that. Then the music started and it just, everybody just went nuts. and started. There was a kid who had sensory issues and he, and, and, and was deaf, and he went and put his hands up against the speaker and just for an hour and a half just felt the vibration and just sat there and just danced. And then there was a little boy in a wheelchair, and his friend just took him out and just circled him, just, just circled for an hour and a half, and they just danced. And, and, and they started getting even more disheveled, and the clothes that didn't fit very well to begin with were just, and people were, and it was crazy, but they were just dancing because they didn't care who noticed or who didn't. 
the next year, they, it was such a success, they decided to do a big one countywide, and, um, and they rented a place, and they fixed it up a lot nicer, and, and Kim, my daughter, took Skylar, and it was just a, they, it, was, it, was just, it was just delightful. And there's a sense that there were no cares in the world. They just heard the music, and they danced. This morning, I'd love to invite you. I, I don't know how weary you are. I'll bet you're like me. You're kind of weary. You're tired. You're discouraged. You wonder if it'll all work. You're kind of cynical like me. But if you listen to the truth of this parable, and if you'll understand that God is sovereign, just sit in that for a second. God is sovereign. And you'll listen. You can hear a little bit of music. And then realize that he cares about you and your life. Listen, the music's coming up. And then realize he's not like that judge who's just annoyed. He's not mad at you. And hear the music and the invitation to dance. Orangewood. As we go into the Christmas season, you're tired and you're weary, but you belong to a God who's in charge, who cares about you and who's not annoyed. And he's inviting you in your tiredness to hear the music and dance. Let's pray. Father, in the fertile ground of confusion, you grow faith. In the fertile ground of weariness and hopelessness, you grow hope. In the fertile ground of failure, you grow love. Would you give us the courage? Would you give us the faith? Would you give us the hope? to see what you're up to, to hear the music of the gospel and to have us dance. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.